subject, the sanctified tongue. We're talking about kingdom greatness, and I'm sharing with you some keys for kingdom greatness. And one of the keys is how we use our tongues, how we use our tongues. In other words, the words that come forth from our lips. Amen. Do you believe you'll learn something new this morning? Okay, or do you already know it all? When we were praying in the pre-service prayer, one of the things uh, we prayed for was humility, that God prepares the hearts of people and that we'll have humble hearts. We won't just be thinking, yeah, this message is for so-and-so. They should have been here, all right? But it's for all of us. Amen. It's for each of us. The sanctified tongue. The word sanctify means to make holy. It means to consecrate. It's from the same root word as the word for holy. Amen. So the word for holy is the word in the Greek hagios. And the word for sanctify is the word hagiazo. So in English, we should have probably had the word holify. Okay. That's, that's the basic meaning of the word sanctify. It means to make holy. And as many of you would know, when you get born again, God comes by his spirit and regenerates your spirit, and your spirit becomes one with Christ Jesus. So if you're born again, you are one with Christ Jesus. Amen. Immediately that happens. That's regeneration. If you're not born again, you'll have an opportunity at the end of the service to give your heart to the Lord Jesus, and he regenerates your spirit. But how many of you know that your soul, which is your mind, which is your will, which is your emotions, which is your intellect, which is your imagination, has to be sanctified. It goes through a process of being purified, a process of being holified so that it becomes like Jesus. Amen. So that's why, for example, someone who used to swear and use foul language before they got saved. How many of you used to use foul language before you got saved? Okay, I'm seeing one or two hands going up. The rest of you, I'll pray for um, uh, rebuking that lying spirit afterwards. But anyway, um, that's why when you then got saved, what happened? Did the foul language disappear straight away? Maybe for some of you it did, but for some of you, you had to go through a sanctification process. That you know what? I must stop speaking like this. I must stop gossiping. Amen. As you got exposed to the word of God. So when we're talking about the sanctified tongue, we're talking about the tongue that has been renewed. We're talking about the tongue that has been purified. We're talking about the tongue that has yielded to the word of God from a renewed mind. Amen. And it happens to the degree to which we expose ourselves to the word of God. If you're not exposed to the word of God, you will speak just like an unbeliever. So sanctifying our tongue is something we all struggle with. That's one of the things I've observed. It's something we all struggle with. And we tend to judge other people based on an area of the tongue that we are not weak at. You know what I'm talking about? So because you don't gossip, you make judgments on all the gossipers around you. Ah, those people don't know how to control their tongues. Look how they just gossip. But your problem is you make critical, bitter root judgments on people. Stemming from self-righteousness. It's still a sin of the tongue. Amen? So they're different sins of the tongue. And so don't think that, hey, I'm superior. I'm sorted when it comes to this speaking thing. Look at that guy. He just rambles and rambles and talks and says anything to anyone. Because you might be suffering 
from the sin of slander, where you falsely accuse people. Amen? So I believe God wants to really shift something in our environment, shift something in the culture of the church when it comes to the words that come forth from our lips. In James chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Can you see why it's so crucial, this issue of what comes out of our mouths? Your religion is useless. It's worthless if you cannot control what comes out of your mouth. In other words, it's a good barometer of your spirituality. You cannot say, I'm a spiritual person. Excuse me. I'm a spiritual person, but you cannot control what comes out of your mouth. Amen? In James chapter 3, verse 8, it says, But no human being can tame the tongue. So in my own strength, I cannot tame my tongue. In my own ability, no human being can tame the tongue. None of us should have a posture of thinking like, you know what, in my own strength, ah, when it comes to what I say, you know what, I'm sorted there, <laughs> Pastor. This message is for other people. None of us can say that this morning. Amen? It says here, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, some of you think you're so wonderful when it comes to what you say, but what about what you say concerning yourself? I've said to you before that sometimes the things we say to ourselves about ourselves, if we said to other people about other people, we would be in prison today. How many of you are generally quite quiet people, but sometimes when you make a mistake, you hit yourself and you go, oh, silly. Would you ever do that to someone? Would I ever go to my son and he, he makes a mistake and I just hit him on the head and say, oh, silly. Okay, maybe some of you would. <laughs> All right? So it's not just about words that I speak to other people. It's also what I say to myself. Amen? But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. What does poison do? It kills or gives you a runny tummy, depending on how poisonous it is. Okay? But that's what it does. Poison kills. This means that my ability to control what comes out of my mouth is a good barometer of my spirituality. And I would like every single person today to have a posture as you listen to this message of saying, Lord, I want to be one who controls and consecrates everything that comes out of their mouth. Amen. I like what Nathaniel Hawthorne said. He said, words, so innocent and powerless as they are, as standing in a dictionary. When they're in a dictionary, they're innocent and powerless. But how potent for good and evil they become in the hands of one who knows how to combine them. Just one word by itself, harmless. When you now combine those words, you see, if I, I can say, I can say the word, what's a horrible word to say? I... <laughs> I can, say, I can say to someone, promiscuous, no harm, I've just said that word, promiscuous, but when I combine it with two other words, you are, before promiscuous, it's got a different meaning, amen? The combination of words is very dangerous, amen? I can, I can just say, ugly. But when I add you are before that, it's got a whole different meaning. Amen? Are you following this morning? 
All right? So words are extremely powerful. Words are extremely powerful. You know, many of us think we don't have an issue with words. Um, one of the names I was given back in the day, what I used to, what my, what my nickname was, was Paul Update Nyamuda. Paul Update Nyamuda. Okay, information superhighway. You know when we used to call the internet the information superhighway back in the 90s, right? But the point is I was called that because I had all the updates for people. And sometimes that can become part of your identity, where you're this person, where if people want the latest, you know, you know there's certain people you go to, if you want the latest on what's happening and so on. And there was a form of pride in me because I prided myself in the fact that I knew what was going on. Amen? And it's something I still have to deal with today. I'm not talking about gossip per se. I'm just talking about knowing the latest that's happening. Amen? It's something I still have to guard against because even as pastors, what can happen is sometimes my wife can come to me and she's updating me on something. Oh, some good news. This and this is happening with so-and-so in the church. But if I've already spoken to that person, there might be a bit of, yeah, I've actually got more detail on that particular thing. <laughs> right? <laughs> Let me just give you some more information on that matter because I'm Paul Update Nyamuda. Amen? I don't know what your thing is when it comes to Sins of the tongue. Maybe you're proud of what you know. Maybe you struggle with intellectual pride. But I don't want anyone right now feeling like, no, this is not me because I'm not a gossip. You might not be a gossip, but I can tell you when I make a list just now of the sins of the tongue, you might be like, mm, Paul, I need to work, with this, work on this. Amen? All right. So why is it important to sanctify your tongue? Why is it important? Number one, life and death is in the tongue. Life and death is in the tongue. In Proverbs 18, verse 20 to 21, it says, From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Very often we blame the devil for things that happen in our lives, yet what's happened in our lives often is a fruition of the words we've spoken. I'm telling you right now, the words you speak have great power over the direction of your life. Oh, and let me just add this, even when you're joking. And that's why we said to you, that's why we said to you the last time, I think recently I've preached on this, we're going to have to give an account of every idle word that we speak. Be careful of how you joke. Amen? Psychologically, your subconscious mind, your brain, does not distinguish between fact and fantasy. You know what I'm talking about, right? So if you think you're plain looking and you keep looking in the mirror and you keep saying, hi, gorgeous, hi, beautiful, hi, ooh, nice nose. After some time, you begin to believe it and you live that out. Because what you say about yourself affects your self-concept. Amen? And I believe that the Lord is taking us to a place where we have sensitivity, greater sensitivity concerning the words that we release. The fruit of your lips, the harvest of their lips, they're satisfied. Do you know that the word, I saw this the other day, the word words and the word swords, they have the same letters. They have the same letters. Words and sword are made up of the same letters. And the two things are related, amen? Because you see, 
They can both win you a battle, but you can also use them to kill and to murder. I can use a sword to win a battle, but I can also use a sword to murder someone. I can use words to overcome situations, to make declarations and decrees. But I can also use words to destroy. Amen? And no one is immune to it. No one is immune to it. Proverbs 15 verse 4 says, The soothing tongue is a tree of life. How many of you have a soothing tongue? In other words, when someone needs comfort, you know how to soothe them with your words. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. A powerful prayer to pray is, Lord, may my words never crush someone else's spirit. This is so important, especially if you're an authority figure, especially as a parent. Because very often what we say to our kids the words we speak over them. You know, my boys would often come to me and say, Dad, Dad, so do you think I'm a good soccer player or not? Do you think I'm a good soccer player or not? Who's better, me or my brothers? And you're not allowed to say we're all the same. That's what they used to say to me. And very often what I would say back to them would influence them. I don't think they would ever think, you know what, Dad just doesn't understand. I'm actually far better than he actually thinks. In their minds, there will always be that doubt. Maybe dad is right. Amen? Because remember, little children, when children are young, they can't fully self-validate. One of the marks of adulthood is self-validation, where you can be like, mm, yeah, that was good. And even if your boss says it was horrible, you still know it was good. But when kids are still very young, they can't do that. They look to us as parents for that validation. Is everyone following? Okay? So what we say as authority figures is crucial. With many of you, I've spoken to you and I've given you feedback and I've said to some of you, wow, that was an amazing prayer you prayed. Or wow, that was a wonderful talk you did. And it shaped you and it influenced you because you respect me in that area. Are you following? May our words never crush people's spirits. I'm not saying lie to people. Amen? I'm not saying lie to people, but don't crush them with your words. In Proverbs 12, verse 18, it says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords. So very often when we hurt people with our words, it's because we're reckless with them. It's a bit like when someone has got a gun and they're just like, hey, ho, hey, or they've got a sword and they're just like, ha, hoo, ha, ha, and they can actually hurt someone. We often are reckless with our words. Amen? It says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. May my words bring healing. May your words bring healing. May your words bring restoration. May your words bring life. May your words shape your future. Amen? Think about your words this last week. Did they contribute to conversations or do they contaminate conversations? Do they bring life or do they bring death? Just think about the words that you released. It's quite a responsibility, isn't it? Because you see, words create. And God has given us that gift that, hey, you with your words, you will create. Cows don't have that. When a cow moos, moo, when a cow moos, it doesn't create anything. When I make a declaration, things happen. Things are shifted. 
Amen? When you announce something as a decree, it affects destiny. So it's something we have to do responsibly. How many of you know that God doesn't just hear our prayers, He also hears our words and our conversations? Amen? God does not just hear your prayers, He also hears your words and your conversations. That's why in Scripture it says in the book of Ezekiel, the Lord heard as they were talking, as they were speaking. Right? And He built a memorial based on what they were saying. Question, what are the conversations like at home? What are the conversations like in your business meetings? What are you releasing with that sword? In fact, it's not just a sword. The Bible talks about it as a sword because those are the weapons they had in those days. If the Bible was written today, it would be talking about an atomic bomb. Amen? It will be talking about missiles. Your words are like missiles. And they do dangerous things, but they can also do good things. Amen? So the first reason why it's important to sanctify your tongue is because life and death is in the tongue. I'm going to use my tongue for life, not for death. Amen? Amen. Unless I'm, in, I'm destroying things of darkness. Secondly, it's important to sanctify your tongue because your words can determine the quality of your life. Your words can determine the quality of your life. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says, For whoever would love life, how many of you want to love life? And see good days. How many of you want to see good days? I don't want to see bad days. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. These are keys we are getting, and this is not just Old Testament. This is Peter's epistle. Proverbs 12, verse 13 to 14 says, Evildoers are trapped by their sinful talk, and so the innocent escape trouble. From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things. How many of you want good things? From the fruit of your lips, you'll be filled with good things. And the work of their hands bring them reward. Do you know what this is telling me? If I want my life to be filled with good things, wonderful marriage, wonderful parenting, abundance financially, Abundance in health, wonderful friends, all those things. You know what it's determined by? What I say. Amen? What I say. What I say. We were created in the image of God, and God created the world with words. And so he made man, and he said, you know what? This guy, this girl... She will also create things with her words. We were created in his likeness. My question to you is, what do you say? What comes out of your lips? Number three, your words can rescue you. Proverbs 12 verse 6 to 7 says, The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the speech of the upright rescues them. You'll be rescued by your words. You'll be rescued by your words. One of the things I've seen happening in my life, and it's a pattern, and that's why I can preach on it. It's a pattern I've seen. Often I will say something good about someone, just appreciating them, not to their face. By myself, like with my wife, I'll say, you know what I like about so-and-so? So-and-so is so, and I'll begin to say positive things about that person. And within a couple of days, I'm not exaggerating, that very person who I've been raving about 
in the very area that I've been raving about them, I'm blessed by them in that thing. It's a pattern in my life, so I'm going to keep doing it. If I'm sitting and I'm just saying, you know, I, I just really love this about Sipo. Which Sipo you can guess, okay? They're both cool people, so... I really love this, my love about Sipo. I'm so impressed. Yeah. And he does this and just a few days later, he'll do that very thing and I'll be a beneficiary of it. You get what you appreciate. You get in life what you appreciate. If you're always saying, nah, these people are ah, my pastors. Oh, my pastors. Ah, I don't like what they oh, That's what we will be to you. Amen. My wife, that wife of mine, oh, my wife, the wife you gave me, Lord, what were you thinking? It was, the wife you blessed me with, Lord, was a character test. Oh, is it all about character? Can't I just enjoy my marriage? If that's all you are doing, that's what you'll get. You'll get the fruit of your lips. Begin to speak life. When you see slight changes in your spouse, begin to say, Sure, Lord, thank you. Thank you. He who began a good work is faithful to complete it. Thank you, Lord, for those signs of change. I thank you, Lord, that you'll continue. Amen? Amen. Your words determine the quality of your life. Your words can rescue you. Number four, your words can defile you. Your words can defile you. What does defile mean? What does defile mean? To defile means to damage the purity or perfection of something. Have you ever had it where you've got a nice white shirt on and then you're drinking coffee and then you spill the coffee onto your shirt and now there's this brown stain and you've already left home? How many of you have experienced that before? Okay. Or you're running around, you're about to get into your car or something, and then your dog comes and they jump onto your suit. Your dog jumps onto your suit. If your dog is a jumper, like, like our great Dane, jumps onto your suit, they defile your clothes. Amen? Your words that you speak defile your soul. Is everyone following? You're not defiled just by what you take in. You're defiled by what you bring out. Your words can defile your soul. How many of you know that the enemy can have legal rights over your life because of your words? The Bible describes your lips, your mouth as a door. That's why it says set a guard over the door of your lips, right? And very often we're trying to close all sorts of doors in our lives so that the enemy has no access, so that we're in a place of immunity. But our problem is we forget that our mouth is a door. Is everyone following? And that the door we've opened to the enemy very often is through the words that we've spoken. And, and the devil knows that. That's why the devil tries to get you into an emotional state where you end up saying certain things that you regret. Often when I'm working with couples, I'll, one of the marriage destroyers is making divorce an easy option. Now I understand there's a time for divorce. There are times when it's, it's evident that, listen, this thing isn't going to work out because there have been multiple cases of infidelity and you're crazy to stay in the same situation. Okay, there are those cases. Okay, or wife beating, that happens and it's a lifestyle of wife beating. There are cases for divorce. So I'm not saying that there's no biblical grounds for divorce. 
But if you're in a marriage and things happen and every second conversation you have, you're just saying, well, I think we should just part ways. And it tends to happen to people who are in broken homes. Well, that's your default. We should just part ways. I think we should just get divorced. I think we made a mistake. I think we, I think we, I think we. Do you know what? The enemy will use those words because that's what you're prophesying over your marriage. Amen? Watch out. What are you declaring that's ending up defiling you? You hear some of the things people say, married people, when they're watching TV, you know, and seeing all these soccer players with their shirts off. Oh, oh! Why do people talk like that? I remember even in church, there was a time I was wearing a nice shirt as I usually do, and I was, I was, what? I was wearing a nice shirt as I usually do, and I remember one lady, she's kind of like those people, you know, who had a sense of humor and so on. And she's like, oh, this is such a nice shirt. And she says to her husband, I could take, I could take home a man like that. But that was a sense of humor. <laughs> we were used to that person, but you'd say things like that. And you'd, also, you'd wonder, like, why is she saying that? Okay. Be, be very careful how you joke and the things you say. Amen? And my wife is going to listen to this message and say, say who was that? Who was that? <laughs> All right? So your words can rescue you, but your words can also defile you. Matthew 15, verse 11. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. Some of you are encouraged by that. Hey, remember the Bible. Jesus himself said what goes into your mouth doesn't defile you. <laughs> but what comes out of your mouth, that is what defiles them. Amen? Number five, there is sin in the multitude of words. How many of you are big talkers? Come on, let's raise our hands. We, 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 big talkers. Ah, there's some of you who should be raising your hands. <laughs> I'll give you feedback afterwards, okay? There is sin in the multitude of words. You know an exercise I'd love to do? Is someone who can't speak, and then someone who can speak. It'll be nice to actually do a, a measurement of sin level. Because I can tell you right now, if we couldn't speak, if we couldn't say anything, our rate of sinning would go down a lot. Come on, I'm a researcher at heart, right? Our sin rate would go down because of a lot of our sin is sin, sins of the mouth, sins of the tongue, what we say. Amen? Now watch this, watch this. Proverbs 10 verse 19, sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Guys, sometimes silence is okay. You know, they're those people, if you give them a lift or you're driving with them, they feel like they have to always speak. They're uncomfortable with silence. Just enjoy the silence sometimes. Amen? Enjoy the silence. Otherwise, the people who are listening to you just ramble on and ramble on. They're thinking things, but they're not telling you. I remember when I was young growing up, if you think I talk a lot now, when I was young growing up, I was on steroids when it came to talking. I remember someone once saying to me, don't you get tired of talking? Okay. Don't you get tired? 
And then I've got my son Samuel over here, and he's those one-word answer people, you know. Sometimes we're driving to school, and you want to like, you know, so Sammy, how was your day? Fine. So Samuel, he doesn't waste words. <laughs> then I start trying to explain to him like, oh yeah, I know the athletics was really great for your young brothers. It was like this. Yes, yes, dad, I know, I know. <laughs> now, when you go deeper into this, if you look at that same passage of scripture, but look at verse 18, starting from verse 18, it says, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips and whoever spreads slander is a fool. When words are many, sin is unavoidable. When words are many, sin is unavoidable. In other words, the more words you use, the more likely you are to sin. Amen? Then it goes on to say, but he who restrains his lips is wise. There's a difference between being quiet and being shy. There's a difference between being quiet and being shy. You see, when you are quiet, you are making the choice to just keep quiet in a situation and you're comfortable with that. When you are shy, you're the kind of person where you're in a meeting and you really want to say a whole lot of things and then you keep kicking yourself afterwards. You're like, they stole my point. I wish I'd said this. She stole my point, but I knew that and she beat me to it. Shyness is linked to anxiety. You're too afraid to speak out. Amen? I'm not saying we must all be quiet. Some of us use more words than others. But a lot of times we have multitude of words, a multitude of words that are unnecessary. So what we do is we are carnal. In other words, we're always explaining ourselves to people. We're always justifying ourselves to people. We're always going the extra mile trying to re-explain and re-explain. And in that context, we end up sinning. We get into the flesh. We don't allow God to do his thing. We get into the flesh with our mouth. Are you hearing me this morning? We sin a lot with our mouths. We sin a lot with our mouths. In Psalm 39 verse 1, it says, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. Think of the imagery there. You, those of you who aren't from agrarian backgrounds, you're not like myself or Mr. Manyuma, okay? You know what a muzzle is? You know, a muzzle is what you'd put over an oxen because you want the oxen to do its job. You don't want it to start looking for food and eating. So you put a muzzle over its mouth so it doesn't eat. So that's the same imagery here. It was an agrarian society, and what he's speaking of is put a muzzle over your mouth. In other words, hold your tongue sometimes. Amen? But I find it interesting because it says, in the presence of the wicked, not everyone is for you. How come you guys like that point? You know when people say amen to the negative statements you make? Not everyone is for you. Yeah, 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 pastor that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not everyone is for you. I was talking to my wife over the phone and she was just saying, I'm, I miss having you here. Right? I miss not having you here. Hey? Is that the right way of saying it? She was basically saying she wishes I was there with her because she said there's a purity about me where... I want to know her time and I'm for her. She says, sometimes when you're competing at these things, people will ask, what is your time? What is your time? Not because they're interested in you, but they're comparing you with them. You know what I'm talking about? She said, some people are secretively competitive. 
So you don't quite know, does this person come, with, come in peace or in pieces? Okay? I'm telling you right now, it's the same even in church. There are a number of things I don't always say. Good things that might be happening in my life, I don't always say them. Not because I think you control my destiny, but because I know that a lot of people, there's wickedness in them, in certain areas. Not everyone is happy for you. I might give examples of my marriage. I might say, oh, my wife did this for me. And you won't be thinking, I'm so glad that in everything my pastor has to go through, at least his wife loves him. Some of you will be thinking like, hey, why wasn't my marriage like that also? <laughs> Let's be honest. Sometimes people come and they share testimony of breakthrough. Hey, and then the Lord came through and we finally got that deal. Instead of praising God that, Lord, if you can do it for my brother, you can do it also for me. Thank you that you're doing these things in the church. With some people, the mindset is, but Lord, you haven't come through for me. That guy doesn't even pitch up for prayer meetings, and he's a bit dodgy in how he treats his wife. Now he has the breakthrough. Are you following me this morning? Not everyone is for you. So here it says, I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the present of the wicked. Proverbs 18 verse 1, it says, An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. You know the people I'm talking about? They're most excited when they're talking about themselves. In fact, they're the kind of people who say, Guys, I feel a bit bad. I feel like I'm talking about myself a bit too much. Can you start talking about me now? You know the people I'm talking about, right? They never ask you follow-through questions. I'm always coaching my kids around this. My wife phoned them, and she was like, how are you doing, Samuel? How are you doing, Jaden? Uh, and I had to coach them. I said, guys, ask her about her race. Ask her how she's doing. Amen? Fools like to air their own opinions. Worst thing is when you're trying to watch a soccer match, and you're trying to listen to what the commentator has to say. Happens in our households. There's certain one or two individuals. I'm trying to listen to what the commentator has to say so I can learn more about soccer, so I can learn more about football. But there'll be people who'll be airing their opinions about the foul and everything because they're more interested in their opinion. The commentator is there. He's got lots of soccer experience. We can learn. He can give us the inside scoop. Amen. You know the people I'm talking about. <laughs> That's why with some of you, I don't go and watch soccer with you. I'd rather be by myself, just watching by myself. I'm joking. <laughs> when wickedness comes, so does contempt. And with shame comes reproach. The words of the mouth are deep waters. But the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. May my words be wise words. May my words be a rushing stream. It is not good to be partial to the wicked and so deprive the innocent of justice. The lips of fools bring them strife and their mouths invite a beating. <laughs> Some of you might be saying that to your kids, right? Your mouth is inviting a beating. It was not me. It's not your dad who's being harsh. It's your mouth that's inviting a beating. The mouths of fools are their undoing. And their lips are a snare to their very lives. 
This is spiritual warfare. The way the enemy ensnares you, the way the enemy wants to trap you is through your own words. It's one of the primary tools he uses. You make inner vows. You know what I mean by an inner vow? I will never get married to someone from those, that tribe. Yo, those people, they don't know how to look after a woman. Then one day, that perfect Mr. Wright pitches up and is from that very tribe, but you've prophesied against it. There's something you've released in the spirit that is already binding that thing from taking place because of an inner vow you've made. Are you following what I'm saying this morning? And that's why if you've made any inner vows like that, it's important to reverse them. It's important to repent of them. It's important to literally disarm and dislodge and dissolve their power over your life. Some of you right now in your life, you're literally living out the fruit of your lips. And you think the enemy is that other person over there or it's the devil. The devil made me do it. No, you've been prophesying it all these years over yourself. Amen? Amen. Okay. So we must watch out for these things. Number six, our words are a reflection of our heart. You see, what I say is a reflection of what's in my heart. What I say is a reflection of what's in my heart. Proverbs 15 verse 28 says, The heart of the righteous weighs its answers. In other words, the answer I give is based on my heart condition. This is so important. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Why does the mouth of the wicked gush out evil? Because the heart is evil. One of the things I've seen about a lot of people is they focus on semantics. They focus too much on, did that sound a bit arrogant? It's not about what it sounds like. It's about what it is. I don't want to sound humble if I'm not really humble. And a lot of people are caught up in the semantics. Let me just sound humble. And they say nice, humble things. But God looks at the heart and he can see that there's pride here. Out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible says, the mouth speaks. When you see someone using foul language, swearing, it says something about the state of the heart. It says something about what's stored up in the mind. People often will use bad language under pressure. And when someone is under pressure, that's when, you, that's when you see what's really inside. Amen? Don't judge yourself by your good days. Don't judge yourself based on when everything is fine. When you have a sore toe, I was playing soccer, indoor soccer the one time. There was a school function and I was playing with the kids. And, and I, I kicked the ball very hard, blasted it. I said to Jaden, Jaden was in goals. I said, did you actually see the ball? Powerful, because I have a powerful right foot. Like this. But then afterwards... Since then, I've had a, a, sore, a, a sore toe, a problem with my right toe and so on. I had a problem with that. Okay? Now, when I hurt my toe, what comes out? I'll probably just say, ow. But for a lot of people, something else comes out. <laughs> when you're under pressure, when we squeeze you, what comes out? Because that's what's inside. Amen? That's what's inside. What you do under pressure, not what you just do and say when everything is fine. Amen? So I want to be like King David when I pray, Lord, search my heart and see if there's any wicked way within me. Why? Because the wickedness of my heart today is like a time bomb. You know what I mean by time bombs, right? Tick, 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 tick. You might not see it now, what happens, but it will explode one day. And it will explode one day when we're leading thousands of people. Then we're embarrassed. Amen? 
That's what happens with the time bomb. Time bombs are character flaws within yourself that are hidden right now. No one can see them. But I'm telling you right now, under pressure, what's going to come out? Amen? Our words are a reflection of our heart. That's why it's important to have a sanctified tongue. Number seven, our tongue acts as a rudder that directs our lives. It's a rudder that directs our lives. James 3, verse 2 to 8, it says, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also, also is a fire. A word of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. Sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Can you see why we need to prioritize what comes out of our lips? In 2004, I wrote out some affirmations. I still have them today. Things I declared over my life. My young brother Will recently said to me, Paul, can you see that the things you declared in 2004, the affirmations, the things you always used to talk about, can you see that you're walking in them today? The tongue is a rudder. What are you speaking over your life? What are you speaking over the lives of your children, your family, your spouse? This church. We see this when God calls Jeremiah into prophetic ministry. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6 to 8. Ah, oh Lord God, I said, I surely do not know how to speak, for I'm only a child. So he was being called to be a prophet to the nations. You remember that? And he says, I don't know how to speak, for I'm only a child. But the Lord told me, do not think that you're only a child. Do not say, I am only a child. Basically, God is saying, be very careful what you speak over your life. Don't release that over yourself and say, I'm too young, I can't do it. Because that's a rudder. You will end up being too young and not being able to do it. Amen? Do not say, I'm only a child, for to everyone I send you, you must go, and all that I command you, you must speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I'm with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Often we end up afraid because of the confession of our mouths. We talk ourselves into deeper fear. Have you noticed that? There's some people when they're stressed out, they talk even more. And the things they begin to say aren't based on faith. They're based on fear. I mean, that fear is faith in reverse, isn't it? Fear is faith in reverse. Fear is when you have faith concerning negative things. Fear is when you have faith in the devil's report and not God's report. Amen? 
In times when you feel anxious, be very careful what you release from your mouth. Rather leave it as, I'm feeling really anxious and take it to the Lord. Because what happens is the things you say in a state of anxiety can end up reversing all the prayer and fasting you've been doing for the last few months. I'm telling you that right now. Amen? So be careful what you say about your destiny. Be careful of the inner vows that you've made. Be careful of ruminating on negative things. What is ruminating? What is ruminating? There are two major meanings. And I'm seeing smart people here aware of what ruminating is. Okay? Researchers found that women tend to do it more than men. Okay? And it's also found that in modern times, we've got lots of space to ruminate. So what is ruminating? What is ruminating? Let me give you a powerful definition of ruminating. It's to go over in the mind repeatedly and often casually and slowly. Practically, it's what cows do when they're eating, when they're chewing, right? It's to chew repeatedly for an extended period. So you ruminate on something. It's a transitive verb. You guys studied English, right? It's a transitive verb. In other words, it's a verb that needs an object to act upon. Right? Oh, thanks. I know a direct object. What's the difference between an object and a direct object? But anyway, okay. Is that what they teach you at Cornwall? Nice. So, it's, so it's, it's a verb that needs something to act upon. So you don't just ruminate on anything. So what are you ruminating upon? Because when you're ruminating, you're saying things, aren't you? Even though you're saying them softly to yourself. Well, I wonder what's going to happen here. What if I fail and I don't work out and it doesn't work out? And then what if I fail? Then what if I fail? Then if I fail, yeah, because I'll probably fail anyway. Then if I fail, then I won't. Some people, their minds have been programmed to more readily accept failure than success. It becomes your default. And you wonder, why am I so afraid of failure? Well, you've been ruminating on that. Because traveling from Johannesburg to Centurion, two hours of traffic, that's what you're declaring over yourself. Are you following me this morning? Don't let the enemy rob you of what I'm saying. That's what you are ruminating on. And those words are powerful. Words are not powerful just because you say them out aloud to people. Words are powerful when you're meditating on them. When you're saying them softly to yourself. The word to meditate means to utter or to mutter in scripture. I want to ruminate on the word of God. I want to meditate on the word of God, on his goodness, on his life. Amen? What the enemy often does is he'll sow a negative thought into your mind. And you, it's so subtle that you think it's your own thought. You think it's your own thought and you dwell on it. You ruminate on it, ruminate on it, because he knows the more you ruminate on it, the more likely it's to come to pass in your life. Amen? So what does it mean to have a sanctified tongue? Do you want to hear about that? What are the signs of a sanctified tongue? How do I know that I have a sanctified tongue? Having a sanctified tongue means the following. It means, number one, my words will only edify what is edifying? It's to build up. My words will only build up. And this is a covenant you can make with yourself and with God. That Lord, this wonderful instrument, this wonderful sword that you've given me, I'm going to only use it to build up my husband. I'm going to only use it to build up my wife. I'm going to only use it to build up my kids. I'm going to only use it to build up my pastor. I'm going to only use it to build up my friends. I'm going to only use it to build up my parents. I'm going to only use it to build up and not to crush. 
Isn't that wonderful? In Ephesians 4 verse 29, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. It doesn't say sometimes. It says, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, not your needs. Often we speak to people because of our own needs. So if I need to feel more respected by you, what's going to come out in my mouth? Hey, yeah, do you know that I actually did this? Yeah, no, yeah, you know, I pray a lot for you actually. You know that because I'm a, I'm a prayer warrior. You know that, all right? But I begin to boast because in my heart level, I'm speaking to you based on my own needs, not your needs. Is everyone following? Right? That it may benefit those who listen. Each time I open my mouth, I must, I must say to myself, is this beneficial? One of my sons, I've got a son who talks quite a lot. And, and sometimes I've had to say to him, the thing you're now saying, can you see you're thinking aloud? Can you see it hasn't added value to anyone around you? It sounds, sounds horrible, but sometimes that's what you do when you're, when you're discipling. Can you see those words that you've just spoken? Can you see you're thinking aloud now? That's your private thoughts. Keep those private and then pick out the ones that will benefit the other people. It sounds harsh, but sometimes we... Coach people that way. Amen? Amen? See, I want when my release words, I want them to have weight. I want them to count. I like what Mother Teresa said. Mother Teresa. Words which do not give the light of Christ increase the darkness. Words that do not release or do not give the light of Christ Increase the darkness. The second sign of a sanctified tongue is that my words are spirit-led. My words are spirit-led. In Luke chapter 12, verse 11 to 12, Jesus is speaking. He says, when you are brought before the synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how to defend yourselves or what to say. How many of you right now are worried about what you have to say? Tomorrow at work. Do not, do not worry about how you're going to defend yourself. Do not worry about what you'll have to say. Why shouldn't we worry, Lord? Verse 12. For at that time, the Holy Spirit will teach you what you should say. And those are the words that have power. Those are the words that have power. The words that are taught by the Holy Spirit. The words that we get from Him. Not my own words. Amen? I want my words to be spirit-led. That's why often if I'm doing coaching or training and so on, I'll often pray. Often when I'm doing training for companies, I'll get into the room beforehand. I'll make certain declarations. And I'll say, Holy Spirit, we're giving you this place. Come, you lead me in what I have to say. Amen? Otherwise, your words will just fall to the ground. doesn't matter how clever you are. Amen? Your words will just fall to the ground. Number three. The third sign of a sanctified tongue. My words are full of grace and seasoned with salt. My words are full of grace and seasoned with salt. Colossians 4 verse 6. Let your conversation be always, not sometimes. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Seasoned with salt. What does salt do to food? How many of you sometimes taste food and it's bland? 
It looks nice. It's well presented. And what do you say? Ah, I, I need some salt here. Or I need some tomato sauce. So tomato sauce seems to help, you know, with some stuff. Right? Why do people do that? Why do they need salt? It brings out the taste. Amen? I know we've got good cooks in the church. You know what I'm talking about, right? So seasoned with salt. Sometimes people speak and it's not tasteful. It's bland. It's dull. That word grace, when we talk about being full of grace, in the Greek it's the word charis. And it literally means gratitude, favor, and kindness. Our words must be full of gratitude. I've noticed that the person who's grateful speaks different to the person who's not grateful. Have you noticed that? When someone is grateful and they have an attitude of gratitude, it comes through in how they relate to you. When someone has an entitlement mentality, it comes through in how they talk to you. Amen? There are times when your kids are asking for something and you can see it's coming from an attitude of gratitude for what you've already done for them. There are other times when they're asking for something and you can see it's an entitlement attitude. Amen? Even in the workplace. Come on, those of you who are employers, you know what I'm talking about. How do you feel when someone asks you, makes a request based on an entitlement mentality? The Bible says our words, our conversation should be full of grace. Full of grace speaks of full of gratitude, full of favor, and full of kindness. Showing kindness to people. Showing favor to people. When someone is full of these three, there is a way in which they speak. Amen. And by the way, when the Bible here says, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Technically speaking, it's the word each one. In other words, it's not just the many, it's each one. Because the way you answer Ashburn is not the same way you answer Charlton. It's not the same way you answer Paul. It's not the way you answer Jimmy. It's being able to adapt to each conversation. Amen? Someone is getting something. The fourth sign of a sanctified tongue. My words are gentle and kind. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This morning I was eating breakfast, and then Jaden said something, and I interpreted it a certain way, and it irritated me, and I said, Jaden? And he says, why are you shouting at me? All I was going to say was this, and I was very aware of the message I was going to be preaching, so very quickly I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Amen? We have to learn to apologize to our children. Because here the Bible says this, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Matthew 11 verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. How does Jesus describe himself? For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So you can say in my culture, this is how fathers talk to their children. That's in your culture. But how does Jesus, who's our role model, Describe himself. He says, guys, come to me. And many people came to him. Children would want to sit on his lap. Why? He says, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. May we all be gentle. May we all be humble in heart. May we all be gentle. May we all be humble in heart. May we all be gentle. May we all be humble in heart. May we all be gentle. May we all be humble in heart. Amen. 
And you can be a gentle giant, by the way. You can be like Jimmy, gentle giant. I love it. Kind words, I like what Blaise Pascal said. Kind words do not cost much, yet they accomplish much. Kind words do not cost much, yet they accomplish much. It doesn't take a lot to speak with kindness. The fifth sign of a sanctified tongue, my words are full of wisdom. Ever since about 1998, a friend of mine came to me in 98, I think it was. He was my digs mate. We stayed together and he said to me, Paul, I feel this is a word for you. Isaiah chapter 11. Keep praying this daily over your life. Pray it regularly over your life. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Keep praying that over your life. And regularly since then, I pray it over my life. I'm always saying, Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom to answer whatever questions I need to answer. I need the spirit of wisdom. I have so many people phoning me regularly. I'm in this situation, what should I do? I'm in that situation, what should I do? And I remember the prayer I would have prayed. I need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Amen? The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit, knowledge is a spirit. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Amen. Proverbs 12 verse 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. May your words bring healing today. Proverbs 31 verse 26, she speaks talking about the Proverbs 31 woman. One of the key characteristics of this woman is her wisdom. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Proverbs 15 verse 12, the tongue of the wise adorns knowledge. Isn't that beautiful? The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. May that not be your portion. The sixth sign of a sanctified tongue, Christ's words are in me. Christ's words are in me. John 15 verse 7 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So this means I can pray his words. You see, when Christ's words are in you, you can pray them, you can speak them, you can wish them, you can dream them. Amen? The Bible says that let the word of God, let the word of God, let the teaching of Christ be abundant in your heart. I will hide your word in me that I may not sin against you. One of the reasons people fall is they don't have enough word in them. Are you hearing me this morning? That's why Jesus says, remain in my words. What does that look like? It looks like meditating on, ruminating on the word of God. That's why we say, read your Bible. That's why we say, read books that will help you to renew your mind. Because we're always hearing the opposite in the media. Amen? We're always hearing other things in the media. So we have to actively have the word of God in us. D.L. Moody said, when a man is filled with the word of God, you cannot keep him still. If a man has got the word, he must speak or die. If a man has got the word, he must speak or die. People have said to me, Paul, why are you doing so many books? Why are you doing? Because the words just keep coming out. Amen. There have been times in my life where I'll sit back and I'll think, I think I've preached all the sermons that I've thought of preaching. Over the years. Amen. 
I think I've written all the stuff I've wanted to write on. But no sooner as I've said that, there's more word bubbling forth because God's word is eternal. God's revelation is eternal. It doesn't stop. It won't stop for me. It won't stop for you. Amen. Let Christ's word dwell richly in your hearts. Number seven, the seventh sign. My words are truthful. The seventh sign of a sanctified tongue. My words are truthful. Proverbs 12 verse 19 says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. If you want to be established in this nation, if you want to prosper in this nation, make sure you have a truthful tongue. Make a covenant with God that only truth will come forth from these lips. Amen? A deceitful tongue, you disappear very quickly. So what are the consequences of having an unsanctified tongue? Can we just have an unsanctified tongue and there are no consequences? Uh-uh. There are consequences firstly for the person with the unsanctified tongue. So there are consequences for you. Psalm 52, verse 2 to 7. This is quite scary. You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good. Falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. This is God himself. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at you, saying, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. Destroying others how? With the mouth. That's what it's speaking of. So there are consequences for the person with an unsanctified tongue. There are also consequences for others. Proverbs 15 verse 4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. You can crush someone else with your tongue. Remember that some people are sensitive to words. Other people are sensitive to tone of voice. This is so important. When you speak words, words carry spirit. The word for word in scripture is a similar word to the word for breath. When you release words, those words are like capsules that contain power. Amen? It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. And you can't keep saying, these people are just sensitive, it's their fault. They're too sensitive. Adapt to their sensitivity. If you married someone who's sensitive, adapt to their sensitivity. You can't just say, ah, no, 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 she's just too sensitive. You are the one who married the sensitive person. So adapt to their sensitivity. Amen? I didn't say don't speak the truth. Speak the truth. But now you have to take time. You knew she was sensitive when you got married. It's not like she wasn't sensitive and then now she is very sensitive. With most people, it's the other way around, isn't it? They were sensitive when they were insecure and then they're not as sensitive anymore. So you knew she was sensitive when you got married to her. Why do you keep complaining? She's too sensitive. She's too sensitive. Because you don't want to change how you speak. Amen? 
Some people are sensitive to the choice of words. Other people are sensitive to the tone of voice. Are you following this morning? Henry Drummond said, We have all felt the brazenness of words without emotion, the hollowness, the unaccountable unpersuasiveness of eloquence behind which lies no love. Finally, I want to share with you some signs of the unsanctified tongue. We spoke about signs of the sanctified tongue. Now we're going to talk about the things we need to be delivered from. Is that okay? Number one, sign of an unsanctified tongue. Lying and bearing false witness. Lying and bearing false witness. In Proverbs 6, verse 16 to 19, it says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. I want you to see how many of these relate to the mouth and what we speak. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil. Then verse 19, a false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. God hates those things. He hates those things. The lying tongue, false witness, and someone who stirs up conflict, stirs up division. Number two, slander. In Titus 3, verse 1 to 2, it says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander ah, just the people they don't like who deserve to be slandered. No, to slander no one. To be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward just those nice people who are nice to you. No, gentle toward everyone. Now, if you're one of those people who likes exceptions to the rules, there's no exception here. That word slander is the word in the Greek, diablos. That's the same word for devil, the slanderer. Amen? Diablos, the slanderer. That's one of his chief characteristics, to slander. What is to slander? To falsely accuse. And it's very subtle. It even happens in churches. I remember when we were pastoring a particular church, I remember there was this person who would come to us and would sort of just, in the conversation, drop in something negative about someone else. Now, it's one thing if you're concerned about the person in love, but it's another thing if you're insecure and you want to be the pastor's favorite, so you're always dropping in negative things about other people. But you do it so subtly. And my wife and I would actually joke about it, like, have you seen she's doing her thing again? Amen. You're bearing false witness. You are doing the work of the enemy, which is the accuser of the brethren. And one of the things I've noticed is that there are a lot of people who don't care about other people's brands. Have you noticed that? I'm not saying try to have this thing of, we are the perfect family. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the other extreme. I'm talking about those people who will just say anything about anyone, and they'll only tell you half the story, and they won't balance it with the good stuff. That's slander, ladies and gentlemen. That's a slanderous tongue. And that's something you have to yield to the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, I'm only going to say things that are spirit-led. Amen? 
see, sometimes you can say something about someone else and you don't realize the impact it has on everyone else because you love those people unconditionally. So you're just talking. But the other people who are hearing those things, they don't know all the other good things about those people that you know. So what are they thinking now? They're only thinking of that one thing that you mentioned about that person. Amen? Number three, gossip. Gossip. I didn't say go and sip something. I said gossip. Right? Proverbs 17 verse 9, Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. As a pastor, there are certain things people share with me. I was saying to the group of men the other day, some of you, we have to either be best friends or you have to kill me because I know too much. All right? I know too much. I look around the church and I know too much. And if, if things don't work out between us, imagine what I could do. But fortunately, I've got integrity in this area. There are times when men in the church might share with me certain things that they're ashamed of. Do you know what? I can't share those things with my wife. I can't go to my wife and say, hey, do you know that that guy actually uh, struggles with pornography? I can't say that to my wife as a woman. You understand? I want to encourage you, be very careful about gossip. Because sometimes we've got this thing where we kind of feel like, no, 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 they should know about it. They should know about it. They should know about it. In a church setting, the pastors need to know the state of the flock. So if there's something that happens at a certain level, you communicate it upward. You understand what I'm saying? That's not gossip. You're communicating it upward so we can help you to deal with it. Especially if you've confronted someone about something and there's no change. Amen? That's not the same as gossip. So how do you deal with a gossiper? How do you deal with someone who gossips? You've got a number of options. See, many of us don't have scripts for these things, so we don't know what to do. So we just enjoy it. Ooh. Right? Number one, you confront them directly. I'm telling you, when you uproot gossip in a church, gossip in a team at work, it builds trust. You confront them directly and you say, you know what, I feel uncomfortable because the, the things you're saying to me about Maroping, I'm thinking to myself, what do you tell Maroping about me? What do you say to other people about me? If you can say this to Maroping, uh, this to me about Maroping, amen? So you give them direct feedback and you say, this is breaking my trust. The second thing is you purposely disagree with what they're saying. So if they come up to you and say, have you seen how she does her color blocking? It just doesn't suit her. <laughs> right? No, I actually think she looks stunning like that. And after a while, they realize, you know what? You always defend the other person. I'm going to stop talking to you about this. I'm going to go to someone else. Amen? Then the other thing you can do with the gossip, you basically say, it seems like you've got great feedback that you want to give this individual. Let's go now together to the individual. <laughs> and then the person backtracks, <laughs> actual, actual, actual. And then you do what some of us have done before, where you say to the individual, you know what? If you don't go to them and tell them this in the next 24 hours, I will do it. I will tell them that you said that. And it speeds up the process sometimes. Okay? But I'm telling you, you have to be ruthless with gossip because it kills, it destroys, and it brings about division. And don't enable gossip. You enable gossip and the gossiper by listening to it because you're their audience and they're looking for an audience, aren't they? You're the audience. So 
so important. In Proverbs 18 verse 8, it says, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the innermost parts. Proverbs 26 verse 20, without, without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. You know that the Bible is very strong in terms of how we should deal with people who cause division because a lot of division comes through people who gossip. You know that? In Titus 3 verse 10 to 11, it says, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. Warn a divisive person once and then twice and then have nothing to do with them. And when I, t when I taught a couple of years ago, on ungodly alliances, I think some people thought I was being quite harsh. But there's so many people in scripture that the Bible says don't have anything to do with this person. Ladies and gentlemen, don't have anything to do with someone who gossips because a gossip causes division. And the Bible says anyone who's divisive, warn them once, warn them a second time. If they still don't listen, have nothing to do with them. I wish we could have old school church once again. I wish we could have old school church where you could tell someone in, to the face, listen, I can't be your friend, you gossip. I cannot be friends with you. And some of you need to learn to be more direct with people that way. Instead of now going and gossiping about the gossip. Have you seen how she just gossips, eh? She's such a gossip. <laughs> Amen? If you've got an issue with me, talk to me directly. Don't go, nya, 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 And then you cause division. Amen? I like what someone said recently. Be mindful when it comes to your words. A string of some that don't mean much to you may stick with someone for a lifetime. A string of some that don't mean much to you may stick with someone for a lifetime. The fourth sign of an unsanctified tongue, rash vows. We've spoken about this a couple of weeks ago. It's where you are quick to make a promise. It's where you over-promise and under-deliver. In Matthew 5 verse 34, Jesus says, verse 34 to 37, But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Why does it come from the evil one? Because the enemy wants you to make promises you can't keep because of the consequences of breaking your promises. When you break a promise, it has an impact in the spirit realm. Amen? Cross my heart, hope to die. I swear on my mother's grave. I swear on my father's grave. Why do people do that to themselves? Number five, coarse jesting. Coarse jesting. Ephesians 5 verse 4. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which is out of place for the believer. It says, but rather thanksgiving. I'm talking about rude jokes. As a believer, you shouldn't be cracking rude jokes. Amen? 
When you talk about something being coarse, what are we talking about? Obscenity, baseness, indecent, filthiness. That's what we're talking about. Foolishness. Okay? Coarse jesting is ready wit that is vulgar. The sixth sign of an unsanctified tongue that we need to be delivered of. Deceitful charm and flattery. Deceitful charm and flattery. Ladies and gentlemen, charm is deceptive. You know those people who are charmometers? You know the people I'm talking about? And by the way, there's a fine line between the gift of encouragement and someone being charming. I'm talking about deceitful charm. So I can go to you and I can say, wow, those are nice shoes, lovely shoes you've got. I'm just encouraging you. I'm just complimenting you. But then there's some people, especially if your marriage is not in a good place, all it takes, ladies, is some dude just coming and saying, how are you doing? <laughs> With a smooth voice like that. And they appear like they're a saint and they're perfect. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, if they don't respect your marriage, they'll do the same thing to you. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm saying this to the ladies because ladies are moved by words. More so than guys are. How are you doing? Okay. Oh, he cares. He cares for me. He's so caring. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, he's saying all those things to five other women. Amen? Be very, very careful of that. Deceitful charm and flattery. And don't think that just because a guy is encouraging you in a church setting, he likes you and is charming you. Sometimes a guy will say, lovely earrings. Because what he can see between the earrings, he's not finding attractive, so he's... Focusing on the earrings. <laughs> no, because so sometimes people get excited about these things. Oh, I think he must like me. He likes my earrings. No, there's a difference between you and your earrings. When we're coaching people, we actually say to them, when you're building your network, in the first 30 seconds, try to compliment something on someone. Compliment them. So some people are intentional about that, and they'll see things that stand out. But don't get too excited. No, because seriously, a lot of females get very excited. You know, lovely earrings. Oh, he must like me. No, they couldn't find anything else to compliment you on. Sorry. But sometimes that's the truth. Sometimes that's the truth. Oh, I love your handbag. Oh, he loves my handbag. Yeah. It's your handbag and it ended there. Anyway. Number seven. <laughs> no, let, let's talk about this. Proverbs 26, verse 23 to 28. Like a coating of silver dross on earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. Fervent lips, but the heart is evil. Enemies disguise themselves with their lips, but in their hearts they harbor deceit. Though their speech is charming, do not believe them. Do not believe them. For seven abominations fill their hearts. Their malice may be concealed by deception, but their wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. 
Watch out for the flatterer, ladies and gentlemen. Watch out for that person who says nice things about you, but there's no substance. You know that they're flattering tongues even in church settings. As pastors, we have to guard our hearts, eh? Because there are those who say, Pastor, I'm with you. Pastor, hey, pastor. hey your preachings, hey, your teachings, Pastor. Ooh, I'm with you. But because the, the previous pastor in the previous church, yeah, I know, you know, he, he lacked a depth, Pastor. Depth. And they think they're making me happy, but I'm upset that they're speaking negatively about their old pastor. Because if they do that, in a few weeks, they'll be doing the same thing to me. When they see something in the church that they don't like. Amen? Number seven, a bad temper. A bad temper. Proverbs 17, verse 27 to 28. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. And whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and, and discerning if they hold their tongues. James 1, 19 to 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. It doesn't say quick to drive. There are a lot of things we want people to do quicker. Hey, drive quickly. Overtake quickly. No, let's go back to the word. What should we do quickly? Quick to listen. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Someone once said, don't mix your words with your mood. You can change your mood, but you can't take back your words. Amen? In conclusion, some steps to developing the sanctified tongue. What are some steps to help us develop the sanctified tongue? The first thing is have a standard and predecide what you can or can't say. The Bible in Romans 12 verse 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. This world has a pattern in terms of what you can say and what you can't say. Key question, do you have a standard concerning confidentiality? Do you have a standard concerning what you say to the opposite sex and what you don't say to the opposite sex? Amen? We must have a standard. Secondly, set a guard on your lips. Are you watchful over your words? My wife said to me the other day, I wasn't feeling well. I had some sinusy stuff happening just after I'd run. And she said, are you, are you aware of how you're coming across right now? I think maybe you're irritated because of your nose. Just be watchful of how you're speaking right now. And she was right. I wasn't being watchful. I was irritable in how I was speaking because of how I was feeling partly. Amen? Proverbs 21, 23 says, Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Proverbs 141, verse Proverbs, Psalms 141 verse 3, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. These are practical things we can do as we go from here. Your lips are a door and ask the Lord to keep guard over your lips. Number three, guard your heart. In Proverbs 4 verse 23, it says, above all else, guard your heart for from it flows the issues of life. Some translations say, for from your heart comes everything else. I must guard my heart if I want to speak good things. Everything flows from my heart. Amen? The fourth 
practical thing we can do as we go today. Dedicate your tongue to be a weapon of righteousness. Dedicate your tongue to be a weapon of righteousness. In Psalm 119, verses 171 to 172, it says, May my lips overflow with praise, for you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. It's where I say, Lord, I'm dedicating my tongue to you. I'm consecrating my tongue to bless people, to instruct, to prophesy, to teach, to pray, to decree. In other words, it's not just about avoiding doing bad things with my tongue. It's about saying I'm only going to embrace the good that I can do with it. Some of you can compliment someone after church today, but you will withhold your compliment. You're withholding the good you can do with your tongue. Amen? The Lord is calling us to a place where we use our tongues fully to be a blessing. Are you holding back any kind words? Charles Spurgeon said, I would go to the deeps a hundred times to cheer a downcast spirit. It is good for me to have been afflicted that I might know how to speak a word in season to one that is weary. It's what my wife often speaks of. As we leave here, have you got a prophetic word for someone? Have you got a word that will encourage or edify someone else? That, oh, have you got a word of comfort that will soothe someone else? Don't hold back, ladies and gentlemen. And finally, number five, keep your mind fixed on heavenly things. I will speak out what I focus on. I will speak out what I pay attention to. In Colossians 3, 1 to 3, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. If we do that, we will have a sanctified tongue. Amen. Come on, let's pray. I want us to pray this prayer. How many of you, God spoke to you during this message about a specific area of your tongue? How many of you felt it was the spirit of God? Not just me speaking, but God's spirit convicting you, speaking to you, right? I want to pray with you now. Father God, we come before you. Just pray after me. Father, we come before you. And we surrender our tongue. I consecrate my tongue to you. I choose to use it wisely. I choose to hold my tongue. I yield my tongue to you. And I say take over. I want to speak spirit-led words. I want to speak the words of Christ. I want my words to heal. I want my words to restore. I want my words to speak life and never to crush anyone's spirit. Give me a gentle heart. Give me a humble heart that only brings forth your words. I repent, Lord. I repent where I've slandered others. I repent where I've lied and been deceitful. I repent, Lord God, where I've flirted with my words. I repent, Lord God, where I've focused on my needs alone when I speak. I repent, Lord, for recklessness with my words. And I now come to you. I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask for your cleansing. Purify my heart today. 
in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We can never be the same. Amen. We can never be the same.